You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with the most visionary humans on this earth in hopes that you'll be able to absorb their wisdom, avoid their failures, and feel less alone on the roller coaster ride that is entrepreneurship. This season, I'll be chatting with creative thinkers, masterful marketers, brick and mortar shop owners, brand builders, and people just like you who have a story to share or a vision that inspires. If I can share one quick secret with you before we get into the episode, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us. You know, that spark that nudges us to pursue our full potential in this lifetime. But perhaps somewhere along the line, it got covered up. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late to explore that inner voice and access the brilliance deep down inside of you. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Hey, visionaries. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with someone who is so awesome, so vulnerable, so real. His name is Doug McNish, and you might know him because he's an internationally award-winning executive chef. He's a passionate vegan who used to run a public kitchen in Toronto. He's also worked for many notable vegan restaurants. He's a best-selling author, so you might have his raw and vegan cookbooks. He's a celebrated activist and pioneer of our plant-forward future. He's currently working on some really exciting big projects. And my goodness, Doug McNish has served people like Drake and Rachel McAdams, and he is just awesome. He's been on a journey. So his childhood was not necessarily the best as he describes it, uh, but when he got his first kitchen job at 15 or 16 years old, he kind of found his his thing. He felt like he was at home and finally had an outlet that was nothing like his schooling. So he ended up dropping out of high school and went on this journey of being in the hospitality industry. Doug has suffered with addiction to painkillers. He you know, has been dealing with alcoholism and recently quit drinking. Um, But all along that journey too, he's been pushing his career forward. He's been private chefing. He has been consulting, writing cookbooks, like has had such a notable career. And he actually was voted best chef at one point in Toronto, which is so badass. And his mission is to make veganism more accessible. So Gosh, this podcast goes all over the place. Like we obviously talk about his early days in the kitchen and how he knew he wanted to devote his life to cooking and chefing. Um, One story that we don't share is how he went vegan. He actually was dating someone a long time ago who showed him a video and he just kind of flipped a switch and said, that's it. Like I'm done with this. Um, But ultimately, Doug has had a very non-linear career path, which I know so many of you can relate to. And he's kind of done a lot of things and has hustled and has had farm stands at the farmer's market. He's opened his own restaurants before and served brunch at them. He has worked in hospitality and for a lot of Toronto's best healthy plant-based vegan restaurants. And ultimately today, he is also on a self-love journey and really figuring out how to heal his inner child and, and uncover the layers of who he is at his core. Doug is super raw and real on Instagram, so I would encourage you to go follow him there. Um, and this is really a story of navigating the highs and lows, but continuing to realize that life is a journey And we're never done learning who we are at our core. And that is most important, um, not your career, right? So I think you're going to love this episode. We will put all of Doug's links in our show notes today. And yeah, I just can't wait for you to listen. So enjoy the episode, visionaries, and we will see you on the other side. Doug, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. I was just sharing with you off air that your work has kind of been in my realm since attending the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition. And there's a huge plant-based focus through that school. And I know that's something that you have really carried through your entire career. However, to kickstart, I'd love to rewind the lens, go back to your teenage years and talk about one of your first jobs, which you describe as feeling like 
I finally found something I was passionate about. I found my vocation when I got my first job in a kitchen. So can you kind of rewind, give the listeners a little bit of context to what that felt like when you had that first job working in a kitchen? Well, you know, it's funny because I was groomed to be a lawyer. Um, My dad was a lawyer and a justice of the peace. And uh, I I came from that world. But um, I started working in a restaurant and I just... I felt at home. I just felt like, wow, this is where I, I meant to be. And I started excelling pretty quickly. Um, and there was just this amazing feeling of, you know, starting with produce on the table and whatever, you know, whatever have you, reading a recipe, throwing it together, and then having someone taste that and enjoy it and love it and come back in the kitchen and say, oh my God, that was good. Um, it just, it resonated with my heart. Mm-hmm. And I think you kind of described in a previous interview, like you were never really that great in school and maybe the lawyer path never really <laughs> called out to you. And I, I very much feel the same. Like I didn't do well in school. I, you know, came from a family of professionals, but for me, same story. Like when I first got my job in a kitchen, um, I was working at Moose I finally felt like <laughs> I'm active and like I'm stimulated and there was just something about it that made me feel more alive than sitting reading a textbook. What was it about working in that environment that really resonated with you initially? You know, I've never been my whole life. I've never been the boy, the man, the guy that likes being told what to do. (laughs) And, you know, saying you're only going to be successful if you're sitting in this seat for this amount of time you have to do this work this way. And if you don't get this grade, you're not going anywhere. And this just didn't resonate with me. It didn't work for me. I mean, I came from an educated household. I, I, you know, Jeopardy was on every night. Like I did the New York Times crossword when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old. So it wasn't a matter of intelligence. It was just a matter of like, if I don't feel good today or I don't want to do this today, why does that determine the rest of my life? And, um, <clears throat> The restaurant was just an outlet for me to be creative, to be able to season things, to be able to cook them, to be able to, you know, like I said, turn a case of peppers into a, a sauce. It was just, and it, there was just so much creativity, so much fun. You know, you're, you're just a young teenager and you're with this motley crew of people of, of you know, various uh, socioeconomic, various ethnicities, you know, you're working with people who have been in the business 20 years, newbies. It's just, it's this motley crew of sort of like pirates, if you will. And, uh, and it's just fun, hard, scary sometimes, but at the end of service, when all the customers are happy, you just have this, ah, and I I love that. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's so cool because I think careers like getting into the food industry or entrepreneurship, they really allow us to self-express and nurture that creative muscle. But oftentimes our traditional education and going into more corporate jobs, we almost like shut that part of ourselves off or we're not really told or trained how to tap into that and how to look at you know, in your case, a fridge full of ingredients and imagine what you could do. Like a lot of people feel stifled when they look in their fridge. Um, And I just think it's such an important reminder that not everybody thrives under the same conditions. And that for some of us exploring that creative muscle, whether it's when you're 15 or 35 or 55 can feel so freeing almost. And oftentimes it does nudge us to want to pursue our own entrepreneurial path because we know we can be unlimited with that creative muscle, you know? Yeah, I'm a big hip hop fan and um, I follow Drake's crew. Um, You know, Drake is arguably one of the most successful Canadian artists of all time. And uh, Oliver Khatib is one of his crew and he's a he's a creative guy. And he posted something on Instagram. It's a couple of years back and he got an award for the work he's done. And and he basically just said, success isn't linear. And I responded and he gave me dabs back and we actually DM'd a couple of times back and forth. And, but it's true. Success isn't linear. There's no, like this whole idea of get the family, get the white picket fence. Life is not like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe we can make life like that. And if that's what you want, if that's what makes your heart happy, go for it. For me, it's not what makes me happy, you know, And, and there's, there's ups and downs right? There's, 
some years where you're going to make a bunch of money, you're going to feel great. There's some years where you're like, shit, how do I pay the bills? <laughs> right? No matter where you are in life, like whether you have a hundred thousand in the bank, a hundred million or a hundred dollars, it's like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's really important for people to remember. <clears throat> so true. And I like that you share that that can happen at any stage, right? Like as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as people who are pursuing the creative path, sometimes we just have to be okay with the risk that comes from staying in business, right? Like you might've had a very good year last year. That doesn't guarantee that everything's going to be status quo. You're not going to get the same paycheck year after year. That's just not how it works. There are ups, there are downs, there are in-betweens. And I think that's just like a, you know, a risk that we're okay incurring. And that's part of the journey. Like you say, it's not linear, so you can't expect it to be. No, oh, and you know, you add the longer you do it, the the more um, you understand that you'll be okay, right? At the beginning, it's certainly scary as all heck, um, and, and it's. Uh, but the longer you do it, the more you get used to it. The more you're like, okay, I'm down right now. Next month, I'll be up. Mm -hmm. And I know that your journey has not been linear either. So, kind of yeah. going back to your teenage years, your twenties, I know that the kitchen culture can promote some bad habits, the kitchen culture can push you to maybe drink more, smoke more, um, and maybe just pick up some unhealthy things that don't necessarily send you down a path of health. So I'm curious, can you just describe like what unfolded in the decade after you decided to start working in a kitchen and pursue that as your vocation? How did things go? Um, share some of the ups and downs that incurred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I know, I know a lot more at the age of 40 than I did at the age of 16. And, uh, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, things like this, they, they spike, you know, it's a very high stress environment. <clears throat> and, you know, in, in health terms, that means high cortisol, high adrenaline, and um, not present. I didn't even know that word existed back then. <laughs> um, and uh, <clears throat> so at the end of it all, you know, at the end of service, you want to chill out. And, and most people, you know, the, the business is changing now, thankfully, but most people, they don't know what to do. So they drink. Um, alcohol is, is pushes away the pain, pushes away the fear, pushes away everything. It floods our brain with GABA. It makes us feel good in the moment. Um, but there's also a lot of downs to that. And uh, I didn't understand that. I didn't know that I had, uh, you know, now I'm sort of dealing with it. I had a very traumatic uh, childhood. And so coming home, you know, it felt good to be numbed. So it, it's sad. I, I learned how to drink really early. Um, you know, at the age of 19, I could easily put back a 60 ounce of whiskey and I would wash it down with a dozen beers. Uh, you know, and I, I am not proud of that. It's just, you know, it's my journey and what happened to me. Um, and, uh, the restaurant business is a beast. The food business is a beast. It's, it's all encompassing. Thankfully it's changing now a little, but it is a very, it's a very difficult business model, um, to change in the long term. And I think one of the biggest issues is people need to get paid properly. And, um, that comes down to food having to cost more. And so we need to make more money. So it's this whole dichotomy of what do you do? You know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. When did you get your first taste of entrepreneurship in this industry? Because it sounds like when you started out, you were taking jobs, working for other people, which is such a good way to build out your confidence and your career path. I'm curious, was there a moment that you felt like the light bulb kind of went off and it was like, oh, I'm going to be in charge and do consulting or start the restaurant or, you know, when did you get that first little hit? That's a really good question. Um, I remember exactly when it happened. I was the executive chef of a wellness retreat in Bancroft, Ontario. And um, I was told that I was to, we were doing juice cleanses for people. And I was told that I had to remove all the seeds from all the apples um, before juicing them because they were toxic or something. I don't remember. And I didn't want to. Um, and I remember the owner who was my boss, you know, I had actually gotten requested to go on TV for the first time. And it was just this whole path of, you know, she said to me, Doug, I think you should become self-employed. Huh. You know, you're very talented. 
Um, it's obvious that you you want to carve your own path. I was staying there, beautiful resort, beautiful area of, of Canada. I was with my then girlfriend, who is now my wife of 12 years, uh, Candace. And I remember sitting out on the porch that night with her and we were drinking some wine, I think. Um, I don't drink anymore, but uh, <laughs> we, we were we were drinking some wine. And I said, you know what, Candace, I got to do this. I don't. I don't effing care what it takes. If I have to stand outside Kensington Market in Toronto and sell kale chips, that's what I'm going to do. And lo and behold, I had a cookbook contract at that time. So I had my first cookbook contract already. I was writing it. And, and so I guess it was six months later, I incorporated my first company and um, I made kale chips in my apartment in Toronto. And uh I was on my way. I didn't know what that meant, but I was on my way. So there was no like elaborate business plan. Like you didn't write out all the financials and have this like crazy, you know, here's what the journey is going to look like. It was like, I'm just going to make kale chips and see if I can sell them <laughs> period. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, there was a progression. There was, a, there's a high end hotel in Toronto called the Windsor arms hotel, uh, celebrity hotspot. You know, Drake was there, Elton John, Tommy Hilfiger, and what happened was they were all traveling to the hotel and they wanted vegan. And oh. um, yeah, and the chefs at the hotel had no clue what that was. This is 2011. So we're going back, you know, 12 years now. And I was the guy, um, you know, to a certain degree, I still am. That's, there's, there's that little ego coming out. Um, and they contacted me to do a menu for them. So that helped. Um, that was, you know, some revenue. And, and, and But then the cookbook was coming out. And then I had an opportunity come to me to do the Brickworks Farmer's Market. Um, and I took it. And I, I started with a six-foot folding table. Um, I'll never forget. Green Shift delivered six cases of product. It was like $1,500. It was like the most I'd ever spent on something. Um, you know, green packaging. Because it was very important to me to be green. And I made almond parmesan cheese. And I made uh, tomato, raw tomato sauce. And I... Did it all out of my apartment um, at Queen and John, downtown Toronto, and uh, started selling at the farmer's market. And, you know, one table turned into two, two, two tables turned into three, you know, one cooler of product turned into two. And I did that for five years. And I think I wound up, I had eight tables and 16 coolers. And I had a staff of, I had a staff of four or five running that alone. And we were generating, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars a week. It wasn't it was it was good you know right place right time it was crushing it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's so cool to just imagine like the journey of like one table to two and like you were literally just following kind of your gut at that point saying like okay there's obviously demand for this were you also like starting to see your community build you obviously had a group of strong supporters um but in thinking about who those customers were like how were you gathering them and, and what kind of community did you feel in that moment? Well, when I first got into it, you know, I, I've always been about it for the animals, but health has really always been paramount to me and who I am and what I believe in. And um, when I was younger, I had lost a hundred pounds hmm. and going vegan and, uh, but also, you know, exercising and eating properly. Back then there wasn't Beyond Burgers and all this sort of processed nonsense. I, so I was eating lentils and brown rice and kale mm -hmm. um, and, and doing smoothies. And <clears throat> 2012 was when my first book came out and it was raw. My first two cookbooks were all raw vegan. And so 2000, between 2010 and 2013, um, was the height of the raw movement and yeah. people were just, it was very in and niche and cool. And, you know, there was Giuliano's in LA and there was uh, pure food and wine in New York and Matthew Kenny had always been someone I looked up to and, uh, Chad Sarno as well. I love those two. I think they're two of the most talented chefs in the world. And, um, I just started doing my thing. Uh, you know, I started making burgers from sunflower seeds and carrots and raw ketchup and raw Big Mac sauce and, raw pizza and tacos and and um again this farmer's market stacking them up on a table you know i'd have 50 boxes of kale chips stacked up 10 bucks a pop and they were we sold everything we sold everything 
we had lineups going down to the back of the farmer's market and I just couldn't effing believe it. Mm-hmm. And this is raw food, right? And, and smoothies and, and, and so building a community, meeting people, um, you know, the Brickworks Farmer's Market, I'll always be uh, grateful for because they really gave me a shot and allowed me to shine and do my thing. Um, and uh, it was just a beautiful experience. And, um, you know, I'll never forget that. It was just a slow, slow build and, and mm-hmm. just meeting people. And, you know, Rachel McAdams would come and just like, it was just cool. You know, you never know, you never knew who you were going to see and what you would experience. And it was just, it was really awesome. You mentioned kind of being at the pulse of the raw food movement and when that was trendy, how much do you attribute the growth in that period to right place, right time versus actually, I just worked really effing hard. Like, do you ever think about the balance of that? Cause you always hear like, well, you obviously have to like, you know, take advantage of what's trending, but you weren't doing that strategically, you know? No, I didn't understand marketing at that time. I didn't, I didn't know there's a market. Let's still, no, I, um, I loved raw food. Um, I was first introduced to it when I ran a restaurant in downtown called live in Toronto. They're no longer in business. Um, but the magic that I tasted and the, uh, the health I experienced, um, eating that way really inspired me. And, um, then I ran a, a fully raw food restaurant called raw aura in Port Credit, Ontario, and it's still there. Um, shout out to Jimmy and Harula. Um, but no, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just the raw food thing. It was also where the people, people were becoming more intelligent and it was the height of the farmer's market craze. People just really wanted hyper-local. They were sick of all this, you know, poison bullshit food, pardon my French. And so I was there, you know, here's this, you know, young 29 year old chef and passion right passion is everything you can go somewhere and you know if the cooks making your food have passion and i when i tell you you know you hear these stories of people saying i used to work 16 hours a day i literally did that for years and years and years i would get up at 2 30 in the morning and start packaging kale chips so we could go to the kitchen and pick up all the food at 4 30 in the morning to be at the farmer's market for 6 30 in the morning to set up and um, you know, so passion and just this desire to um, to show the world that this food can be good. I think that was that was my motivating factor. After your few years at the farmers market, you're probably getting a lot more opportunities because you're super visible at that point. What was like the next major milestone in your career? Um, was it opening your own public kitchen? Was it more cookbooks? Like share some of the things that actually started to unfold as that journey progressed. Hey, visionaries, are you an entrepreneur that started your business to feel the freedom that it can bring? I know that's certainly one of the reasons, the main drivers actually, why I decided to take the leap, leave my corporate marketing management job and to start the visionary brand. So we start the business, we crave the freedom, but then we kind of get bogged down in things like too much responsibility and we have decision paralysis. And it's really challenging to figure out where to put your time and energy and how to not stay up all night worrying about your marketing, worrying about whether this business is ever going to feel easy and take off. Well, what if we told you that you could enrich your weeks and your days with a community of devoted, passionate, impact-driven, and health and lifestyle-anchored entrepreneurs. Like, you don't want to just build a massive company that supports you financially and that supports your well-being. You also want to do it in a way that supports being your best self, feeling healthy, being around people who are like-minded with shared values. I know for me that eating well and making sure I'm accountable to my workouts and being around amazing, driven, positive women who lift me up and cheer me on rather than bring me backwards 
has been essential to my success over the last seven years. I've gone through phases where I've felt lonely and disconnected, and I can tell you that those have been the worst months in my business. So that's where we want to talk about the mastermind presented by the visionary method and the magnetic life. So my business partner, Emily Elliott is a certified mindset and success coach and myself being a professional marketing coach, we've collaborated and we've created what we believe is the top mastermind for female entrepreneurs like yourself. If you are feeling a strong call for connection and you want accountability to get through your launches and to make sure your marketing plan is on track and you want a space to ask questions about hiring virtual assistants and knowing when the right time is to launch that next offer versus scale your existing one you're definitely going to want to be part of this group. It is weekly elevation. We are calling you forward to your highest version of your CEO self, but we're also going to be there for you through the lows and the challenges. Maybe you're a new mom. Maybe you are going through some sort of relationship struggles. You know, this is a place to be your full self. We are not just entrepreneurs in silos who just work like workhorses all day. We have stuff going on and let's make a space where that's accepted. And let's make a space where we challenge each other to be better both in and outside of our office. If you are interested in applying, this is a very intimate small group, head to kelseyridle.com slash mastermind, or you can just head to kelseyridle.com and click the coaching dropdown. We would love to have you apply. I'll jump on a call with you, give you the full overview of what this space is like. We meet every single week and we cannot wait to see your application come through. Yeah. With the farmer's market, it got to a ceiling where I couldn't do anything else. I was renting kitchen space from other people. So I, um, I, I embarked on a journey and I opened public kitchen in 2013 and, uh, it was, a. I didn't know anything about business really. I was, <laughs> I was scared shitless to be honest. Um, and it was an amazing five years. It was an amazing five years. Um, my first cookbook by that time had one best vegan cookbook in the world. So that gave me some recognition. I started doing more television, more local television in Toronto and on, in Canada. And then I got a second cookbook deal. And then I started doing more consulting um, developing menus for hotels, other restaurants. And um, Public Kitchen was a beautiful thing. It really was. And, you know, we built a Sunday brunch um, that just, you know, will always be in my heart. And all the people I used to go out and see and just shoot the shit with and just talk to, it was, it was an amazing thing. Did I ever make a damn dollar? Nope. I paid myself $30,000 a year and... I broke even or I no, I lost money, but you know, I learned a lot and I will never forget that time. Um, and you know, in 2018, it was just my first son had been born. My first son, my only son uh, had been born and he was a young guy. I never saw him. I never saw my wife. I had put on a ton of weight. I wasn't in a good place. You know, I had helped open another restaurant. I had just won best chef in Toronto there was all these beautiful things on the outside, but on the inside, I was a hurt soul and um, I, I needed to close Public Kitchen at that point in my life. I just had to and started doing a bit of work on myself. So that's how that, that those next five years went. Did you know what your next kind of career project was going to be? Or did you just know that like this was not sustainable? It was almost like that visceral feeling of I am unwell. And if I keep doing this, things are going to end poorly. I will figure it out moving forward. I remember walking down the street one day and I was texting with my wife and my heart wasn't beating right. And it was like the stress and the, like, I, I, I mean, I did, I, I, people say they don't take a vacation. I think I might've taken one or two weeks off in about seven years. Um, but other than one or two weeks off, I went seven years nonstop and it wasn't sustainable. Um, you know, I had this amazing opportunity in downtown Toronto, a restaurant called mythology. We had a four hour wait list. It was, it was, you know, the hottest restaurant in the city. Um, but, and like I said, I had been one best chef in Toronto, but I was missing something inside. And, um, I, I took some time to myself. Um, I took a, a course called life reboot with a friend called Kimberly Carroll. 
and it taught me about vulnerability and meditation and sort of, you know, finding yourself again. You spend seven years developing this character and this persona and um, it's not who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't, it didn't feel authentic. So did the course, took some time, really went deep into meditation. Um, and, you know, I guess as it stands today, five years later, that was just the tip of the iceberg. I thought I was healing myself already. I was like, okay, I'm good. I can meditate now. Yep. Um, but that was just the tip of the iceberg back then. So no, I had no idea what was next. Um, no idea what was next. Mm-hmm. I just let it go. I let it go into the universe and see what would happen. There's definitely this part of entrepreneurship that is like the journey of self-discovery and like deprogramming yourself in order to become the most like pure actualized version. It's like, what are all the things that I've just like layered onto myself in the first 20 or 30 years of my life that now I'm trying to like strip back and be like, who am I? And it is interesting in a way. And I hear this a lot through the podcast and the guests that we interview. It's like, the journey of professional development is only as quick as your journey of personal development. And sometimes when they're misaligned, you just like, you have to slide back. So yeah, it's always fascinating to hear business owners say like, sometimes it boils down to the personal journey because that directly impacts where you're going next in your career. And that work never ends. Like (laughs) once you start it, you're just constantly unlearning uh, the habits that you've maybe picked up or really just on this never ending journey of like, who am I and and what am I here to do or who do I want to be? Where were you seven years ago, Kelsey? I needed to hear that seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's, it's true. Words of wisdom. Yeah. And I think it's something that we all learn, whether it's through like a rock bottom moment or just like an epiphany in our life that like when you feel that stuckness, that stagnancy, it's time to hold the mirror up to yourself and be like, what's going on here? It's like, you know, I'm not going to ever make more money or impact more lives or be able to express my vision. If something is like truly, I don't know what the word is misaligned or blocked or just, you know, energetically you're Stuck. ignoring it. Yeah. Stuck. Bad Stuck. feeling. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are some of the, like, I know you mentioned meditation and taking a course and I know you're very passionate about health and wellness and taking care of yourself. What are some of the rituals and routines that over the past five years you have prioritized and that have actually made a really big impact in keeping you well and motivated? Well, you know, the last five years of my life have been interesting, tricky, challenging. Um, I would say that I did make some changes. um, But at the same time, I didn't make changes. And, you know, as I sit here now doing this interview with you on Thursday, August 3rd, 2023, it's actually only been of recent where I've sort of come to terms and I guess it's like you're coming to God moment in a way and just saying like, well, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I moved to the United States from Canada uh, at the end of 2022, November, 2022. And um, I was just suffering and I didn't even know I was binge eating. Um, I've been a binge drinker my whole life. I don't think that's really ever been not been a thing. I, Definitely wouldn't classify myself an alcoholic in any way, shape or form. But, um, you know, my relationship with alcohol has always been 15 drinks, not two, Um, you know, like down eight beers and then three shots of vodka, smoke a joint. And that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but I think that the last five years have taught me, have started to teach me some of the lessons. And, um, you know, March 6th of this year, I was diagnosed with diabetes, uh, type two. And, you know, in February, um, here, here in the States, I was, I was, my ankles were hurting my joints. I wasn't sleeping. My skin was awful. And, you know, you always say, well, this, well, that there's always an excuse. At least there was for me. Well, it's this and it's that. And I'll start tomorrow. And, um, March 6th, my doctor emailed me the results and I, I couldn't fucking believe it. I couldn't wow. fucking believe it. Like I sat here in shock and I cried. 
Having said that, that's what I needed. I'm the type of guy who has had to learn the hard way many times. I believe God, the universe, whatever entity you believe in, they, you might not like what they give you, but it's there for your own benefit, you know? And um, it was that day that I decided to start making a change. And um, uh, so now work, working out is a non-negotiable uh, getting my steps in, non-negotiable, laughing, smiling, dancing, non-negotiable, journaling, meditation, uh, presence, awareness, um, and, you know, just trying to be good and do good. And, and there's always bad in this world, right? We always have to remember that. There's always bad. Turn on the news. <laughs> it's the first thing you see. It's the thing that sells, right? Social media, same thing. It's the thing that sells. Um, but really just trying to look at the good as best as I can and that doesn't mean I'm going to go live on a mountain and, and, you know, and live in a curtain, but kudos to those that do. Cause you know, I'm not judging. Um, I'm just trying to do the best I can now. And, um, you know, since March 6th, I've lost uh, 62, 63 pounds. And wow. yeah, I'm on my way to losing a hundred pounds this year and just putting on a ton of muscle and um, just trying to heal that little boy inside of me. I think that's also the ne- the next step of my journey. Well, first off, congratulations on the journey and, and, you know, embracing what could be a devastating news, but also then saying, this is what I needed to hear to make necessary changes. I think sometimes it is those moments that our eyes become wide open and we're like, okay, this is the moment that I'm going to make a change and figure something out. And it's almost like your life flashes before your eyes, um, which can be really scary, especially when you have a family and (laughs) it's beyond just you. I'm curious, in making these health changes, how has that impacted your drive towards your work? Have you noticed any correlation as you've made these changes health-wise to just like the way you show up as an entrepreneur, as a consultant in any way? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you focus on your nutrition and your sleep and your water intake and your mindfulness, um, you're more alert. Um, you know, you're not tired, uh, sorry, as tired. And, um, so, you know, you, you're, uh, I definitely can handle more, uh, more at once. Um, in terms of presence. Yeah. I mean, I try not, I try to really do my best to listen, not to respond, but really to try and hear what the other person has to say, especially in business. I think that's one of the most important things we can do. I, I actually find it very difficult now to sit in a business meeting with someone who's on Instagram, on their bank accounts, you know, doing that while I'm talking to them. I've actually made it a practice now. If I see that, I stop talking, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah. So generally speaking, just overall, it's much better and um, super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. So kind of fast forwarding to where you're at today. So you're doing media, you're doing brand collabs, you have options for menu and kitchen design consulting on your website. I'm curious out of all these projects, like what is something that's currently lighting you up? What's exciting for you these days to pour into? Give us a snapshot of what you're up to these days. Yeah, I'm a bit of an anomaly in a sense that I do many different things and I have a lot of skill sets. Um, I've built up sort of this entrepreneurial mind um, that, you know, believes it understands business and and that part of the world. Um, So I do restaurant consulting and and that's either private or with someone and we market together. Uh, Last summer of 2022, I did that for the restaurant in the Cayman Islands. Cool. called the edgy veg yeah so that was really challenging really cool opening up in the cayman islands um i'm currently part of one in charleston south carolina called neon tiger i'm currently part of a, a group in canada called eviva restaurants um and i have some other things that i work on too privately but the biggest thing i'm working on right now actually that is super exciting is i'm a finalist um in a competition called x prize okay. Um, two years ago, uh, we submitted an application, um, to create either the world's next piece of plant-based chicken or fish. We were shortlisted to the top 35. We got a $10,000 grant. We went to town for a year and a half working on developing this piece of plant-based fish. Originally we were doing herring. 
Um, and in April of this year, I was meditating. I finished my meditation. I opened my email and um, it said, you're a finalist. And we were like, holy shit. So we got uh, a pretty good chunk of money to scale this up. And um, we have a chance of winning. There's only six teams left. Wow. Uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're working on a whole cut piece of uh, whitefish. Uh, what's cool about this is it has to be nutritionally equivalent, price parity, and even better for the environment than, than traditional fish. So uh, that's what's keeping me pretty busy these days. Um, but yeah, I do a whole bunch of stuff too. But X Prize really is, you know, July of 2024 is the finals and top prize is $7 million. Holy crap. That could be game changing. Like that's insane. And to be even in the top six, like that is an accomplishment in itself. I can imagine just how proud you feel already, but looking at what's possible in the next year or so is pretty exciting. Obviously keeping Mm -hmm. you very motivated. (laughs) Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. And we're advancing it really well. The fish is you know, I can't say much. I'm under NDA and all that sort of stuff, but uh, it's advancing really well. It's tasty. Mm-hmm. As we kind of wrap up here, I'd love to just ask you a couple uh, questions about your entrepreneurial personality type and the motivation there. I know you say you're always trying to improve as a human, trying to get better at life and business and relationships. So I'm curious, is there a skill right now that you're currently focused on up-leveling or cultivating for the first time? Loving myself. I think that when you're, when you're overweight, as much as I was, I was a hundred pounds overweight and and you, and you use food and alcohol to push away the feelings. Um, you don't love yourself. And I think loving myself has to come first and, you know, um, yeah, loving myself. How, How can you love anyone else if you don't love yourself first? And that's something that's come to me recently and um, I'm, I'm sticking with that feeling and I'm continuing to honor and nurture it as best I can. Mm-hmm. That can be such a, a wake up call for some people who, when they think, do I love myself? And then you say like, no, when you're eating to comfort yourself or binge drinking, like you're just adding a buffer between you and self-love and saying, nope, not today, build up the wall grab me the buffer and like, let's just numb the situation. What are some of the things that you've found to be most impactful for loving yourself or supporting yourself through learning to love yourself? No, yeah, well, I'm still, this is really as of recording, I'm only a couple of weeks into it, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's telling myself every morning, I love myself, praying okay. to myself, you know, praying to God, whatever God is to you, right. It could be the Christian God of version of God, the universe, source, whatever it is, I think, um, understanding that, you know, we're all in this together, all of us, um, and not in a COVID sense, but literally, we're all in this together as human beings. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, vulnerability, is huge, huge. As a man, um, I was never taught that, you know, mm-hmm. I was taught, don't, don't cry. What are you doing? Don't cry, hold it in. And, you know, I'm going to swear, fuck that shit, right? Don't hold it in. I so I've cried every day for the last two weeks and you know, it's getting easier. It's getting easier and easier and easier. So vulnerability and just practice, practice. Like you want big muscles, you want big shoulder muscles, you train the muscles, right? You want to be vulnerable. You want to love yourself, practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Such good advice. Such good advice. Um, Final question here. I know that, um, you know, you're not shy about investing in yourself and and like bettering yourself. Is there something that you can think of over the last 10 years, 20 years that has been one of the best investments you've made in yourself as a human being? And what was that? That is a great question. Exercise. Ooh, like the time spent on exercise or is it the money for a gym membership or something? You don't need a gym membership. Yeah. You don't you don't need a gym membership. <clears throat> Exercise is like business. At the beginning, it sucks. It's hard. You don't know what you're doing. It hurts. You're lost. But consistency, consistency, consistency. Even if you can only do two push-ups or yeah. one push-up or none. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to do push-ups on your knees to start. Yeah. Start that way. Go slow. Build it up. This morning I walked. I worked out. I banged off 20 push-ups on the sidewalk in front of the neighbor's kid. 
Love it. <laughs> I, I couldn't even do one push up six months ago. So <laughs> for me, exercise, I have to do it. It's cathartic. It gets all this like get out of my head into my body. And for the rest of the day, I'm good to go. And, you know, never again will I sacrifice. I now book my life and my meetings around my exercise. If someone's not available, too bad. That's my exercise time. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that is such a hot tip too. Like book your essentials first that take care of you and build your work schedule around rather than opening up your every day and just saying, oh, okay, you can fill my calendar however you want. And if I have time to go to the gym, then I will. I, I like, I really think we need to reverse it and like put in those non-negotiables, whether it's an hour or 30 minutes, this is me time. Nobody ever gets the block from eight to 9am or whatever you need to do. All of us can find an hour. Yeah. All of us. I was just scrolling on Instagram a couple months ago. Like what? I just spent 45 minutes scrolling on Instagram. <laughs> I should be downstairs doing yep. pushups. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All of us can find an hour. You know, it's just a matter of starting and going slow, taking it slow. And before you know it, before you know it, you're lifting heavier, your muscles are coming in and you just, your mental clarity is just boom. You feel great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And starting in any journey can be challenging. Entrepreneurship is hard. I know you've said that many times and are very vocal about it. For somebody listening, as we close out here, who is feeling like they're in a hard season of business, and I'm sure you've been through them too. Do you have any advice or what would you share to somebody who's just in like the depths of feeling like nothing is working? This feels hard. I don't know when this is going to end. Everything is temporary. The pain, the pleasure, what we consider to be, what we label as human beings is bad, what we label as good. It's all temporary, all of it. So yeah, it sucks when you're in it, right? I'm actually in something right now too. And it, it I'm having to bring myself back to presence all day, every day. Yep. But I know, I know that next month is going to be different. And the month after that, it's going to be different. Yeah. And so it's temporary. It's not forever. And the last thing is remember that those times when we have to struggle, those times when we don't have enough money or, you know, we think we're not enough, that's when we have the ability to learn the absolute most. We don't learn when everything's okay. We don't learn when we have an extra 10 grand. We learn when we're 10 grand down, <laughs> right? And the people are like, well, you pay me, right? And you just, you, you, you find a way, whether it's cutting out Starbucks coffee or canceling Netflix or buying conventional lentils over organic lentils, like whatever it is you need to do, do during that time. And you know, it's not forever. I I got a great piece of advice a long time ago and it was go sort of like live like no one will live for a short time. So you can live like no one will ever live for the rest of your life. Mm. And I, I did that a couple of years. I lived on 800 bucks a month and it was, it was hard, man. It was hard. Um, But all these years later, you know, I'm making a lot more than $800 a month now. Yep. So it's the short-term sacrifice sometimes, but having the long-term vision of like, what's this all for, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. Well, Doug, thank you so much for sharing your journey and for just opening, cracking open with us, (laughs) wide open, really. We really appreciate the vulnerability and just sharing the realness of entrepreneurship. I think all of us can benefit from hearing more stories like that and just knowing that we're not alone. So where can people find out about your work and where can they connect with you if they want to touch base right away? Leave us with all the links. Yeah. Um, I'm active on Instagram. Um, so everything I do is my name. It's at Doug McNish. Uh, I'm really active on Instagram. Uh, that's my favorite platform, LinkedIn, Doug McNish. Um, I do not do Facebook anymore. Uh, Twitter, eh, or as it's called now X, um, I I know, (laughs) uh, once a month I send a tweet out. I don't know. I I loved Twitter when it first started. That was my jam, but now once a month I tweet. Um, my website is dougmcnish.com, but really Instagram and LinkedIn are the two platforms I use the most. And, um, I'm pretty responsive. If anyone ever has a question about anything, I'm happy to share what I can. Amazing. We will link all of that in the show notes and to all your work and your cookbook. So thank you so much, Doug, for being on the show. And we wish you all the best. Thank you, my friend. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis, so it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show on either iTunes or Spotify. It just takes a second. And if you don't want to rate the show, you could also just take a screenshot of the episode and share it on your social media platform of choice, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. Hey, Visionary, I want to quickly interrupt this episode to ask you if you've been curious what it's like to work with a private business and marketing coach. If you're a business owner and you feel like your marketing plan is all over the place, you haven't figured out your search engine optimization or your SEO strategy, you have no idea what your social media marketing plan is, and you are not doing so well on the self-express content front, I call these the marketing trio. It's the three S's, SEO, social media, self-express content. And by dialing in all three of these pillars, you too can get more visible, generate more income and increase your lead generation where you're actually turning your followers into paid clients. And you're constantly bringing new people in at the top of the funnel. If you're not familiar with my work, I am a private business and marketing coach, and I have spent the last 13 years working in the marketing industry. Many of those years doing consulting with clients like you, who want to finally get more visible and get in front of their dream clients. So when we work together, you have me for four months as your marketing partner. I'm going to do a full audit of your business, put you on a private project management software with me. And then based on your innate skill sets, based on your strength, based on where you are curious and where your dream clients are paying attention, we're going to build out a custom marketing strategy. We're going to track it. We're going to optimize it. And by the end of the four months, you have a plan that works and you're seeing results. It's truly incredible. Christina Crook just landed a $100,000 consulting contract after implementing just one of my marketing strategies. Emily Fraser signed multiple new clients in one day after just one month of working with me. And now she is having consistent five-figure months. And Natasha, she started leveraging her email list in December. And 30 days later in January, she pulled in $25,000 from one single email that we created. So these results are possible for you too, but don't sign up yet. Just head to KelseyRidal.com and check out how we can work together, learn all about it, make sure you feel informed. And if you'd like to book a discovery call with me, just fill out the application on my website. We can get on the phone and see if it's a good fit for you. So anyways, I don't want to interrupt this episode anymore. I cannot wait to work with you, to support you and getting you more visible and let's get back into the show.